Thank you, Brother Vincent, again, for leading us in songs. I appreciate the new song introduced to us, uh, just the great truths, the sound doctrine reflected in these songs, reminding us that we, even as we come to the Word of God this morning, we, uh, we, we hear it, we understand it, and we can obey it, not in our own strength, but in only dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just want to extend, extend a, a warm welcome to all our guests and visitors with us. I didn't get a chance to go around and greet all of you, but I do want to say welcome and uh, glad to have you with us so that you can join us today. Uh, if you're looking for a church or if you're God's uh, just visiting for the weekend, we're so glad to have you and, and everybody in between, uh, long-timers and kind of new-timers as well, good to have you with us this morning. Once again, we look to the Word of God this morning as we continue our worship, and we turn to the book of Titus, the book of Titus. So if you will, you have your Bibles, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Titus. And our message today is titled, <clears throat> boy, I almost channeled an Australian accent there, uh, <clears throat> entitled Sound Doctrine for Older Women, Sound Doctrine for Older Women. Uh, we are going through this series of, uh, of, of, uh, of, in Titus 2 of the Sound Doctrine and that manifest that affects how we live our lives, uh, how we live in light of sound doctrine. So Titus chapter 2, where our focus will be on verse 3 and 4, uh, but I want to, once again, I want to read all of the whole chapter because we don't want to miss the, the context for why we do this and the encouragement of the motivation for why we conduct ourselves in the way we do. Uh, the book is, this book, uh, the Bible, is, is more than just a, a book on how to live. It's a book of why we live. It's how we can live in this way as well. So Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15 is what I'll read this morning. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Will you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And Lord, we pray that this morning that your message would be delivered. Not my message, Father, but your message from your words. Lord, use me as your vessel to speak 
the truths that we find within this, uh, these, these verses in chapter 2 of the book of Titus. Lord, we ask that you would be our teacher. And as we just sung, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and would guide us into your truths. Father, we recognize that these instructions are not instructions that we can obey on our own. Father, that even in our strivings, we will fail unless you enable us to obey. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand, help us to apply, help us to obey that which your word has to say to us, not just to the older women of the church, but even by their example, what you have to say to all of us. And, Lord, we are mindful that even as we look to you, these instructions, that we would not obey them just so that we would be able to think that we live good lives, that we are somehow attain a better standing before you. But Lord, we, we want to obey these instructions because Jesus Christ came and died for us. We are sinners, Lord, that did not deserve your mercy. Father, it is you because of you, that we, because of your great love demonstrated in your Son, that we want to live lives that reflect and show Jesus Christ to our world that showed Jesus Christ in us that you would be glorified. These things we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd like to begin with just a quote from the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul here writes in 1 Timothy 5, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. I like these words. Uh, they are a reminder to me as a, as a well, relatively speaking, a, a young man, uh, though I'm older than maybe half of you, maybe some two-thirds of you perhaps, but I still see myself as young. But it reminds me, as when I speak to you, I am not to speak to you as, in a sense, your purely just as your, uh, someone who oversees you, who's over you, in that sense, I have authority over you, though I do, I'm delegated authority. I'm not to see you as simply volunteers to instruct and live this way, be this way. I'm not here to uh, yell at you. I hope I don't yell at you, though sometimes if I do get yelled at, if you ever hear me yelling, by the way, know that I'm actually yelling at myself. Okay. I'm actually talking to myself. I feel so strongly the conviction in my own heart that it just comes across as if I'm yelling at you. Just, so that's a secret. Okay? Whenever you hear a man yelling up here, it's probably because he feels convicted himself. Okay, so, just, so you don't feel so bad when that happens. But, then, but I am going to appeal to you when I speak the word of God, when I teach the word of God, as to a father, as to my mother, as to my sister's brother. Basically, as, as like family members. How do you talk to your mom? How do you talk to your dad? How do you talk to your brothers or your sisters? That is in a similar way when we speak, and we, when Timothy, who is the shepherd of the church in Ephesus, this is how he is to speak to the different members within the body. Last week, we spoke to older men. We looked at what, how a sound doctrine speaks to older men, and this week, we speak to older women. So in addressing the older women in this church, this message is primarily a message that focuses on the subject of older women. I want to speak to you, older women, as, as I would speak to my own mother. I speak with much gratitude and respect 
for your role within the body of Christ. I speak to you not so much as, as if I could teach you something new. Lived a long life walking with God. You probably know these instructions better than I do. But when I speak these words, I, I speak to the, you to them as an, as an exhortation and encouragement from God to continue doing that which you already are doing. To continue conducting yourselves in accordance with sound doctrine and, and godliness. May God's word do so in your hearts this morning. May the Lord use his word to make you more like Christ. Because you know why? It's not just for your sake. It's because the church needs you older women in our body. You know, I, sometimes I look at, I, I, sometimes I, I make the mistake of envying a, a young church plant. You know, it's just a bunch of 20-somethings. I remember 20 years ago, I was part of a young church plant. Just a bunch of us youngins, 20, 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds, uh, teens as well, college kids. It was fun because we were, we were lean. We, were, could, we could just kind of do all sorts of crazy stuff. And no one else there just kind of like look at, you know, what are you doing? You know, stop that. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> but the fact is, we are blessed to have an old, now I, I realize, man, I don't envy those kind of church anymore because they're missing the older women. They're missing the older men. You have the, our pastor was older man, older, and our pastor's wife was older women too, and they were a blessing to us, but we really miss the wisdom, the godliness, the, the most important, the example to us that comes from older men and older women in church. This morning's text is an encouragement to you older women because we need you. We need you to continue walking with the Lord in godliness. For you have walked with the Lord most of your lives. Most of the majority of you have walked with Christ. You, you were Christians at a younger age. You walked with God and you've learned sound doctrine. And because you learned sound doctrine, it shows in your life. It manifests in your faithfulness to God. And that is your example, and as well as your words to us, speak very loudly to us. For those of you who are not yet older women, those of you younger women here, I pray that the words here would encourage you that this is what you should strive for. And for all of us here who will never be older women, the men that is here, okay, that's not us, doesn't mean turn your brain off, but this is, since older women are, are like our mothers who teach us, who set the example for us, these two are qualities that we should look for and imitate in our own lives as well. Let's do a brief review then as we look to this chapter. Titus chapter 2, Paul exhorts Titus to speak things that are fitting for sound doctrine, he says. Speak the things which in accord with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, the, the gospel, the, the body of truth that we believe as Christians, it should have a difference in life. Hopefully our Christianity is more than just head knowledge. It would be a, a, just a shame, an embarrassment to us if our Christianity is only here but never manifested in our hands, in, in our feet, in, where we, in our mouths, in what we did with our lives. It ought to show, it, it, reflects, it should reflect godliness. It should reflect Christ. That's why he says, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And he describes for us in verses 2 through 10 the conduct that is befitting sound doctrine. He addresses five different groups of people in the church community, the kind of conduct that they ought to that they ought to uh, <clears throat> manifest in their lives. In verse 2, he began with the older men. And we looked at this last week. This week, in verses 3 to 4, we see that he addresses the older woman. He says, older women likewise are to be. 
Last week we know, we kind of kind of settled that older men are those generally sixty and older, and so older women here likely refers to women that are generally sixty years of age and older. Those basically whose life stage where they're, they've raised their children, they're grown up, they're, they're empty nesters. Some of them are, are widows as well. And so their role is not so much focused upon their families, but this changes. It focuses more on a broader reach to the church body as a whole. The addition of the term likewise that we find here in verse, uh, verse 3 tells us this is simply a continuation of what Paul's teaching. Titus is speaking, these are the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. This is the conduct. Not that it's commanded of us. It's not a command. But these are things, if you will, these are exhorted of us. These are things that we should see manifest in our lives. For these are the things that the sound doctrine in us produces. They should produce. It's not that you can produce it yourself. You can't. Only God, through his word and his spirit, produces it in us. So when at the end of this message you say, well, I've got to be less of this. I've got to be more reverent. I've got to be doing this. The solution is not just to will yourself to be those things. The solution or the answer is to ask of God, depend upon the Lord to make us more like what we find here. All right, so these lists of qualities, just as an FYI, it's kind of it's just interesting observation that this verse is very parallel to a verse we find in 1 Timothy 3.11, which are the qualifications for deaconesses within the church. And I kind of just put it up here, try to put it up to parallel to show you the parallel nature of it. So older women, likewise, and, and are to be, and you see the word likewise, reverent in behavior is kind of similar to dignified. We see not malicious gossips. We see enslaved to much wine, equivalent with temperate. And the teaching with good, what is good and faithful in all things, kind of, uh, they're related, uh, though they're not quite identical. So you, there's a similarity in this, in this passage. We'll refer to 1 Timothy 3.11 a couple times in this message. So the point is that what we see here expected of older women is expected of deaconesses. And deaconesses have no age limit to it. So it's, it's not just only older women who are to be like this. It's all women who are like this. And I would add, all Christians are to be like this. All right, so we, as an outline for us today, four godly qualities of an older woman that befit sound doctrine. Uh, they're pretty obvious. You can just read the text, and you'll say, oh, I, I can guess what the four points are already. So you just write that down. So you can focus, instead of taking notes, you can focus more on how will I live this out? How will I live God's word out in my life? Because, uh, trust me, uh, we all fall short. We all do. We all. All right, first quality befitting a sound doctrine for older women is this, that they are reverent in their behavior. Reverent in their behavior. Uh, <clears throat> kind of just an inter- interesting note, uh, for those of you who just love Greek language, there's a, uh, this is, in, the, in this passage that Paul uses several words that are unique. They're rare. They're kind of rare in that they're not found anywhere else in the New Testament. There's a, this is a technical Greek word for it. I want to, don't want to say it. Uh, don't want to say it because I'll probably butcher it. But it's a, it's a Greek term that means that it's, it only appears, it's only used here only once in the New Testament. And so in this phrase, reverent in their behavior, the word reverent and the word behavior are such words. Paul doesn't, or not just Paul, nowhere else in the New Testament do we find these two words. They're unique to this, this kind of a, this, this verse. It's just kind of interesting uh, Paul does, later on we'll see another word that he uses that's kind of rare as well. And uh, we can't make, I can't make any general conclusions from it, but just observation for now. But this word reverent, what does it mean? It's, a, it's actually a compound word. It means, it's composed of two Greek words that mean temple and to be fitting. 
So the idea of that reverent means to be fitting for the temple. It's a, it paints a picture for us, really. It paints a picture of basically a priest who serves in the temple. All the, uh, not only would the Jewish people understand what the, the Jewish temple is, but these people who were mostly Greeks would have understood the many, there are many uh, Greek temples dedicated to the Greek gods all on the island of Crete. So they would have understood what a temple is, and they had their priests and priestesses who served in those temples. So, but there's a certain, even, even among the, the pagan gods, there's a certain behavior, a certain conduct that those who serve as priests are to behave like to be able to serve in a, in a temple, uh, in their respective temple. And the task to be a priest or in a temple is a sacred task. Just thinking of the Jewish uh, temple, the Jewish priests. It requires a, a, you couldn't have any imperfections about you even. You think about just the Old Testament, all Leviticus, Exodus. You have to conduct yourself in a certain way. And so they translate, the translators translate this word as, this picture word as reverent. But when I think of reverent, what does that mean? Uh, you know, so is it, I think of reverent, I think I just kind of think of a picture of someone kind of just going like this. And then, you know, a little halo about their head. You know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of reverent. But honestly, that is not a picture of anything. It just means a picture of, what's that a picture of? That's what I think of. That's the vision that's in my head. What comes in your mind when you think reverent? What does it look like to be reverent in behavior? Sometimes I think we can translate this word, people translate this word, it gives the idea of holiness. By the way, this reverence, uh, though, is, before we get to the definition, is more than just an inner disposition. It's more just like, you know, because when you do like this and this, it's like, oh, they have a, they have a right relationship with God or something like that. They're, they're holy. Maybe they prayed or something like that. But it says they're reverent in their behavior or sometimes trying to demeanor. But the word is, uh, I, like, I like behavior here. The idea is this, that yes, there is a reverence within. There's a, 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 an attitude within that reflects, that inevitably reflects in one's behavior, one's manner of life, how you live. See, reverence is more than just inside. It's got to be seen outside. That people, when they look at what you do, they see reverence. So putting these together then, putting all these thoughts together, the older woman recognizes basically this truth, that she is like a priest in a temple. She is a servant of the most, highly, most, most high God. She serves God with her life. And so therefore, she always conducts herself appropriately. She knows that she is a follower of Christ. She serves him. She's his, she's his servant. And so she will conduct herself. She has this right attitude towards God, a fear, a, you could almost say a fear, respect of God, a love for God, that then manifests in one's life, in what she does. That everything that she, all that she does, she does out of this inner disposition of service, wanting to serve her God. That's what reverent in their behavior means. There's a parallel idea to this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Paul there writes in 1 Timothy 2, in fact, is quite similar. It's kind of a parallel to Titus 2. He says to the woman, he says, likewise, he just verse 1, 8, 1 through 8 of Titus, 1 Timothy 2, he wrote to the man. And he writes to the woman, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Here's his point. He says, uh, Paul's point here is that 
the Christian woman out there in Ephesus, he says, you, you, are God, you are worshipers of God. You're to, you want to be godly women. You want to be godly people. If you're godly people, then show it. Live like it by your good works, by your good deeds. Don't just show you're godly by the things you wear. Nothing you wear makes you godly. Not even a shirt and tie. Oh, boy, I've been, I sometimes feel so radical. I feel like just coming here in shorts and a T-shirt one day. <laughs> Almost got an amen from LeVon there. <laughs> so, but, you know, and then you, you would be tempted. All you would say, oh, wait, hey, Pastor Henry, are you walking with God? You know, hopefully you wouldn't judge me like that, right? It's not what I wear. I mean, though I do want to wear this because I want to honor God and because I take this work seriously and all that. But, but I don't have to. It's not clothing that makes me holy. It's neither cl- not clothing that makes a woman, a woman godly. It's the works that you, it's reflected in the works you do. That's what we see that reflects your godliness. By the way, it's not the good works that make you godly. The godliness is, is a work that God is doing inside your own heart. It's that making you new alive that we just been singing about uh, in the last Holy Spirit song. Uh, this amen, that song. Boy, we just play that a couple more times after the service. The sound doctrine of Jesus Christ causes older women then to conduct themselves in such a way that reflects their dedication to God, your dedication to God. It reminds me of a woman in the Bible named Anna. You guys remember Anna? She's only found in a few verses. She's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 and 38. Anna was a prophetess, and she served in the temple of God. Her husband, it tells us in this passage, that her husband had died after only seven years of marriage. So she was a very young widow. And she, but she remained a widow till the age of 84. She did not remarry. And it is written of her that she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So what do we see as a result? This woman was, a, was devoted, first and foremost, to prayer to God. She loved the Lord. She was devoted to his service, and, but she devoted it by, and it's, you, she, people saw it by her prayers that she raised up to God. But not only that, but after she saw Jesus, because what's kind of neat about her is that she saw Jesus, and then she started beginning to tell, she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she was looking for Jesus all her life, and then when she saw Jesus, she began to tell everyone, whoever would, would come to Jerusalem, maybe visit the temple, so I've seen Jesus, and Jesus the Christ has come. She was a woman who basically pictures reverence in her behavior. She faithfully served the Lord through her prayers her testimony, and her testimony of Christ. And this is what sound doctrine produces in all our lives, not just our older women. Sound doctrine produces a holiness, a godliness in us. We can't help but sing the songs of the gospel. When you sung the gospel songs today, you sung about the gospel. You sung about how, we sung about how, uh, you know, our, our sins. And, you know, if you think about some of the sins you've committed in your life, or maybe in the past month, or in the past week, or even this morning. And you think about what those sins really mean before a holy God, and that before a holy God, even the least of our sins demands God's judgment of us. But the, and, and though not, we can do nothing about that on our own, what's the amazing thing is Jesus, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And that makes me like, why? I'm unworthy of this. And it should make us want to serve him. It makes us want to love him. It makes us want to live for him. And that's what it does for older women who've lived a lifetime walking with God. 
And what an encouragement because, you know, when I look around this room, when I look around this church, I see that we don't just have one Anna. We have many Annas. We have a lot of older women in this church who have manifested godliness, faithfulness over the years. They conducted their lives in reverence. If you watch their lives, just go ahead and just think about it. That's what I was doing this whole week. I was thinking about a lot of you older women in the church. I was thinking, kind of naming you all off. Putting you, you know, I didn't make a list, but mentally, making a list. See, man, yeah, she's been faithfully served many years in this church. And I just think about, man, we, have, we are so blessed. We're so blessed to have many godly older women in this church who have conducted their lives in accordance with sound doctrine. They've served Christ in this church. They've served Christ in their home, her workplace. And they are examples for all of us. They're reverent in the behavior. They, they see their task as a devotion to God. Well, we move on. The second quality that we find here of older women that befits sound doctrine is that older women are to be not malicious gossips. The, the second and the third ones are kind of, well, they're just sort of odd that, to me in the sense that Paul kind of brings up two very specific things with regards to older women. He says in the negative that these are, they're not like this. If you're going to be a godly woman who reflects Christ, you're not a malicious gossip. And later on, we're going to say, you're not uh, enslaved to wine, to much wine. But what we see then is really that these reflect, even though they are specific sins, they in effect kind of reflect two areas of a, of a woman's life. They reflect her speech, and they're going to reflect her in relation to her self-control her, her desires, the things that she desires, things that bring pleasure, like, and wine is one of them. They can bring pleasure. So kind of just generalize it, general uh, principles that we can see here. But the ESV translates not malicious gossip as well. It's not slanderers. When we hear the word slanderers, when we hear the word gossip, I think we all have an idea of what this means. But today I hope I'll bring in a little further light to you just as we look into the depth of this. This uh, word, not malicious gossip, so we, uh, is, this requirement is not just for older women, but it's also for deaconesses. Back to our first Sim 3.11, we see that uh, the deaconesses in the church are also not to be malicious gossips. But kind of neat, it's not just restricted to, to women, but it's also expected of men. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, we see in particularly verse 3 that Paul warns about in the last days, this is what's going to happen. That the world's going to get worse and among the things that are going to get worse is that people are going to become malicious gossips. And what they're doing is that people are going to hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That people are going to, these are going to be people who say that, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm godly. Yes, I do these things, and I, man, I'm right with God. But in their life, they're unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. They love self. They, and a whole list of other things. Their life is a complete contrast to what it means to be a Christian. That's what's going to happen as the world, as, the, as, as those of us who live in these last days. And this is not, and this is not whom older women are to be like. And they're, they're generally are not. This is not, this is a sin that will be manifested in women as well as men equally. Now, the Greek word for malicious gossip, what does this mean? Okay, I want to look deeper. I've already given you three verses. First, this verse, 1 Timothy 3.11 and 2 Timothy 3.3. And when you see this word, this Greek word mentioned, it's translated as malicious. This word is used 37 times in the New Testament. So 
34 other times in the New Testament this word is used. Do you know what it's translated? Look in your study Bible. It's translated, yeah, the devil. Malicious gossip, diabolos, is literally the devil. To be someone who slanders, to be someone who maliciously gossips about others, is to be like the devil. It's a very, you know, think, wow, that's pretty, pretty strong, and it is. I think we condemn a lot of sins, and all sins are equal before God. In a sense, it is what it deserves, uh, God's judgment. Sometimes we look, oh, look at that murderer. Oh, look at that, that person. Oh, they're, they're evil. They're wicked. But when you maliciously gossip, you are more like Satan than a murderer or maybe other sinners out there. Jesus, in fact, calls the devil the father of lies. He, he does so in John eight forty four. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. You see, Jesus says, this is, I love this verse because this is basically uh, a theology of Satan. And Jesus gives a, a very clear, this is theolo- Satanology 101. You want to understand Satan? This, Jesus describes for him. That Satan, in his very nature, is a liar. But from the beginning, he was a murderer. And what is Jesus referring to? Jesus is referring back to the garden. From the very beginning, because Satan is a liar, he murdered a race of people, mankind. When he tempted, deceived Eve to take of the fruit, she then gave the fruit to Adam. Adam ate of that fruit, the forbidden fruit that God had forbidden, and they as a whole, the whole race of mankind fell into sin. And every, all of us since then have been under the curse of sin. All of us face the, the curse of, of, of the effects of sin in our lives. Satan, who was a liar, brought that about. And he doesn't just lie. He doesn't outright lie. He always does his half lies, half, half truths, half lies too. He, will, he caused Eve to just doubt God's words. He caused Eve to doubt God's character by just asking a question, making a, sure, a, a subtle statement. Oh, you surely shall not die. But when she ate of the fruit in Adam too, they surely did. And those who lie, those who maliciously gossip and slander, manifest really the same nature as the devil. That's how serious this is, not, to be non-malicious gossips. And sometimes we, uh, we get confused about what gossip, malicious gossip means. Like, for instance, if I share with someone, you know, a real situation where someone has a drinking problem, and then I tell, oh, you know, someone has a, I tell the fellow elder, say, you know, uh, brother so-and-so, he has a drinking problem. He's, he's uh, caught up in uh, alcohol, uh, and he's drinking, and, he's, uh, and all the effects of that. Uh, is that gossip? Am I spreading something about someone else? Sometimes we just define gossip as just spreading something about others, talking about others. But that's not malicious gossip. There really there are two elements to what malicious gossip is. Okay? There's content and there's intent. First of all, content. In malicious gossip, in slander, the content is usually, is usually something that is untrue or unsubstantiated. 
It's something that's untrue or something that's unsustainable. You don't know if it's true. You say, well, I don't really know, but I heard that so-and-so is, they're, they're getting it. They're going to they're gonna, they're have marital difficulties, and they're going to break up. I heard so-and-so, oh, man, he's not been doing his devotions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I heard, you know, just, I heard, you know, just, I heard. That doesn't mean nothing. Did you hear it directly from that person? It's unsubstantiated. And that's when we do that, we talk about people like that. It, it, it's, it's, it, it, it can be. It's not always. It can be, uh, Mr. Slander. But the content has to be something that's untrue or unsubstantiated. Uh, secondly, for intent. When you slander someone, you intent, is, there's an intent, or really, I could say an effect, that the intent, the effect of what you say is to cause damage to another's reputation. You want to harm them in some way. Because you remember, when Satan lied, he harmed the human race. He murdered, he in effect murdered the race, human race. But when we tell lies, we, we hurt someone's reputation. We hurt someone. And sometimes we don't even, we don't even have to do it intentionally. A lot of times we just tell, tell what we hear about others that are negative because there's a, it's, it's for us to just prop ourselves up. When I can say, well, you know, so, brother so-and-so is dealing with alcoholism. Then, because I may, who may not be, I, I feel better about myself. I'm not like that, so I'm okay. I'm good. No, I'm just as I'm just a sinner like every, the, the brother who struggles with alcohol. Just my sins are a little different. And so, malicious gossip involves both speaking that which is not true or not that which is not proven, with the intent or the effect to damage someone's reputation. These are kind of this makes malicious gossip. This makes slander. And an older woman in this church, basically our older woman, you think, man, that's not something our older woman do. Because an older woman who knows the sound doctrine of Christ is going to be someone who does not repeat vicious and unfounded charges against others. She will be one who guards her tongue. She knows its potential for damage. She knows the reputation that once damaged is difficult to repair. The godly woman, and you think about it, what led to the death of our Savior? Because there were some worthless fellows, two fellows, who went up and said, yes, I heard him say this. They maliciously gossiped, slandered him, and said that he blasphemed, and that was that which he was accused that made him worthy of death in, the courts, in their courts, in the Jewish courts. So why does Paul exhort the older woman in this area? If that's not something we, godly women do necessarily do, well, it, there's always a potential for this. There's a potential uh, in 1 Timothy 5.13, we read this. It's kind of interesting. And it's a, very, it's a good lesson for all of us. He's writing to widows and giving instruction about widows. But he says at the same time, he's writing about younger widows. This is what younger widows should be aware of. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. When young widows, he said, he said they, they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. So this is not true of all widows, okay? So if you're a young widow, this is not necessarily true of you. But just in general, that this was, was happening, particularly at the church of Ephesus, this is a potential thing that could happen, that there's idleness, that she, once, she lost her husband, so she's a little more, she, she had, was trying to be idle. And so what she would do, she very innocently may go around house to house, talking to people, socializing, interacting, seeing how people are doing. But as a result, with idleness came the temptation to give in to gossip, to give into being a busybody. And that's sometimes uh, in this, and what we learn here is then that there is always this potential with idleness, temptation to maliciously gossip. 
to talk to others about uh, what's going on. Because if you're not busy about the work of God, you're going to be busy about something. And you're talking to people, what are you going to talk about? If you're not talking about the works of God, you're going to be talking about, well, what other people are doing. And that oftentimes leads to gossip. Uh, And so there, and that's why uh, Paul kind of gives this warning uh, to uh, the women, uh, the, to Titus, to encourage the older women on the island of Crete. I just thought about this. You know, there's this great danger because when we think of older women in this church, well, our older women, especially the ones that we've been here, we know them a lot, they're all godly women, right? And we all would just tacitly trust whatever they say, pretty much. When they say it, I'm like, yes, okay, okay, auntie, you know, <laughs> you said it, right? Imagine if a, a group of them just began to say something that was malicious, uh, that was malicious gossip about you. What could you say to defend yourself? They're all the older women in the church. They, ought to, they must be right. It would not only cause damage to your reputation, but it would inevitably create a great friction and damage and dissension, potential dissension in the church. That was, and, so, and so there's an there's a, there's a encouragement for us to, to guard ourselves against malicious gossip. I'm very thankful for our older women in this church. We don't have idle women here. You know, even yesterday when I came in uh, to our, the conference that we had here, the, the Cantonese ministry had our Bible, at a Bible conference, essentially, and I saw it was a Cantonese ministry event, okay? So I expected a lot of Cantonese uh, members to be here, but I saw probably just an equal amount of our English ministry uh, ladies here as well, and, and some men, and they were here serving and I felt, like it was a, I felt like it was a mini Grace uh, Church uh, Shepherds Conference. You know, all the people were just kind of serving. And I was really encouraging to watch some of you guys, uh, you ladies out there, just serving the body. Our older women give themselves to good works. And just think about it. If you, if you can just take some time to think about our older women in this church. Just think about all the things they do. They're not idle. They're busy. They're going about doing what they do. They're... they're uh, they're discipling, they're counseling, serving, showing mercy, planning, teaching, helping their older parents, leading ministries, Bible studies, helping their children kind of with their grandchildren, and many other deeds that they do in the body and for their families. They are faithful because they are devoted and reverent in their behavior. They don't have time to be malicious gossips. But nevertheless, for all of us, there's always the temptation to become a malicious gossip. Sometimes it's just... It's just our flesh. We like to tell, be talebearers and tell others well, what's going on with someone else. Sometimes it's our own wickedness. But I want to give you three kind of just practical encouragements for how to avoid becoming a malicious gossip, how to avoid being like, like Satan, really. Number one, guard your tongue from spreading things that would damage another's reputation. Even if it's true, even if it's true. Say you find out something about someone. You know, oh, man, uh, uh, so-and-so, uh, you know, got in an accident, and it was, yeah, it was, it was his fault. And he, you know, he, he you know, some pretty, you know, I guess you could say it's not necessarily a sin, but something kind of negative. You know, that's something that we generally, even though it's negative, if it may harm someone's reputation by spreading that, we should be careful to, to not spread around. I mean, even uh, as an elder board, we don't, you know, we, we, can, we do talk about the flaw. We talk about your member, the members of the body. We consider all of you uh, from time to time. But we don't always just say everything we know. There are times when I, I reflect to myself, is this something that needs to be shared to the elders? Because I don't want to damage your reputation. I don't want people to, uh, them to think, oh, so-and-so, oh, man, they did that. Oh, no. It's been resolved. 
It's been forgiven. I will not bring it up unless there's a reason to bring it up again. Secondly, we need to guard or learn to guard your tongue from talking indiscriminately about others. We just love to do this. It's kind of a hobby. It's sort of a church hobby, right? It's after what we do after church, you know. Oh, oh it's I me mean, just what I mean, we do in my family. We talk about, hey, who did I talk to this week? I tell my wife, I talked to so-and-so. Oh, yeah, what did he learn? I learned this, learned that, learned that. You know, just to be, when we, when we talk about others, when we talk about our interactions, we want to be careful that it doesn't be, that we just don't talk indiscriminately, that we should be mindful of how we talk because it can lead to malicious gossip, something to be aware of. Thirdly, we need to guard ourselves from being idle for too long. Idleness leads to not just malicious gossip, but idleness leads to all sorts of sin. You need two things to sin. You know what they are? Opportunity and desire. Opportunity and desire. Remember that, okay? Opportunity and desire. The desires that come from the flesh, some often, most often, are there. They're almost present regularly. But when there's opportunity, that usually leads to sin, the temptation for the opportunity it gives a take time. So you know it's either two. So just guard yourself. When you're not, when you're I, not, when you make yourself busy about doing good works, good deeds, you won't have time to be idle to sin. Well, thirdly, when we move on then, let's be, a, so let's just keep those in mind, just practical things. Thirdly, the older woman who knows sound doctrine is going to be not enslaved to much wine. Now, this is a very specific thing, to not be enslaved to much wine. But I would also could generalize this as a general principles that, that for the older women in the church, there are people who are control, who are self-controlled. They're not allowing themselves to be controlled by their desires for pleasure. They're not just, you know, popping, you know, chocolate, chocolate covered strawberries all the time, you know, and they're just not, just, you know, I don't know, watching NFL today or night all day long, you know, whatever pleasures that our sisters out here enjoy doing, you know, they're just not indulging in that. That's the point. But one of the pleasures that was very common in that day was the drinking of wine. And this pleasure was, and so it became, Paul gives this warning for the older women to, that they are not, exhorted not to be enslaved to much wine. We already saw how older men are to be temperate, right? Temperate, so that means they're not given to wine. And when you think about it, Paul has a lot to say uh, in the pastoral epistles concerning the consumption of too much wine. We already saw in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tippered, not addicted to wine. He says it again to elders in 1 Timothy 3, 3. They are not to be addicted to wine. He warns deacons uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 8, a few verses later, that deacons likewise should not be addicted to much wine. And then, not to leave out the ladies, the women, the deaconesses, likewise are to be temperate as well. And then we have our verse here in verse 3. Though this word we kind of, last week I spoke a lot of, about the, uh, the Proverbs and instructions for us of, of why we need to be guarded with regards to wine and alcohol. So we don't need to go into depth again. But, I, but the words that Paul uses here are just very vivid. He says it in a very vivid way. He doesn't just say all older women are to be temperate here, even though he could have. But he says older women are not to be enslaved with much wine. This word enslaved is used generally literally of slavery. Of being, uh, of, but here it's used metaphorically of slavery. And slavery uh, to much wine. When you're given to drinking much wine, when you're drinking a lot of wine, you know, 
and we're not talking about, again, let me add, we're not talking about don't drink wine. You know, it's even doctors say or researchers say you drink a glass of wine a day, maybe healthy for you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks, encourages Timothy to, to have a, some wine with his weak stomach. So, you know, we, we never, we're never going to go there and say don't drink wine, okay? But there's, a lot of, there's an instruction here to not be enslaved. When you're drinking a lot of wine, right? and I'm consistent with what a lot of wine is, but let's just say a couple glasses a day. When it comes to a couple glasses a day or you're drinking consistently throughout the day, when it starts affecting you where you're hiding it from others, when you're starting to, uh, instead of fulfilling your duties and your tasks and things you're responsible for, you're busy cause it's because you're drinking. When you're showing up late to different places because you're drinking, then you're drinking too much wine. Too much wine. And, the, and when you are drinking too much wine, you're enslaved to it like slavery. Sometimes we use the word addiction. That's our common word today. Or we, we talk about alcoholism because it is, uh, there is a genetic factor to it. But the picture here is that we're enslaved. When you, you're caught up with, with much wine, you're drinking it all the time, uh, and usually you're drinking it not because, you know, wine accentuates the emotions you feel, right? You drink wine when you're happy, and sometimes you drink wine when you're sad. And, uh, and, cause you, and when you drink wine when you're sad or when you're stressed, when you're in anxiety, it just kind of, there's an initial numbness of it, but what it does is it makes you want to drink even more. It makes you drink wine more. Anyways, that's just... Um, we don't want to be picture here. The picture here is that when people are addicted to wine, given too much wine, they're like captured prisoners of war led away to slavery. Drunkenness or given to being enslaved to much wine means you're no longer in control of your life. The wine controls you instead of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I want to add, some of you, some of, usually the youth here will get clever and say, oh, it says, I'm not enslaved to much wine. So it's okay if you're enslaved to a little wine, right? It's okay if you're enslaved. You gotta have a little wine every day. Oh, that's all right. You're enslaved to it. It's okay. No, the point is, you don't want to be enslaved at all. And, but when you drink much wine, it reflects that you are enslaved to it, that you are enslaved. Over drinking drunkenness and what we, today we call binge drinking on the college campuses it remains a problem in our day. It affects us in, in, in many different opportunities. It leads to other sins as well, but it was much worse in Crete. Much worse in Crete. One commentator actually listed epitaphs on the island of Crete. And I didn't get the exact epitaphs, but just simply summarize it. That there are the epitaphs on the, basically the tombstones on Crete reflected how it actually saw heavy drinking as a virtue. Here lies Sally. She could drink a whole liter, you know, or 40 ounce or whatever it is. You know, it's like, no, really? Okay. But that was their virtue. Okay, don't judge. That's, that was their, okay, that was their virtue. And so you can imagine Christians getting saved out of this culture on Crete were then coming to church, and they were heavy drinkers themselves. And whatever the circumstances of life sometimes brought them, especially if they became widows, maybe they got extra time, they continued drinking, they had, the, they had the means to drink, and so they just continued to consume. And what was seen as honorable then became enslavement. And that would impact the body. For we all know, anyone who's ever, you're around someone who's, who's uh, given to wine, it impacts more than just them, doesn't it? Right? It impacts the loved ones around them. And I, I, we talk about it. And, and those of you, if you've ever been someone who, or have a loved one who's an alcoholic, a lot of times they want to give it up, right? They, they want to. They, they know that it's messing up their whole family. 
And you, you really have compassion upon them because uh, for some, there is that genetic factor that really just makes it impossible, really hard for them. It becomes what they call an addiction. But they are enslaved. And like slavery, you can't just get out of slavery. You can't just all break free from a slavery. Only Christ, only Christ enables the freedom from drunkenness, a slavery to, to alcohol. But alcohol affects not just more than just the, the person who's struggling with it, but it affects all those around them. I remember in my younger days, um, you know, I lived the typical college party scene. And uh, every weekend was drinking, every weeknight was drinking, and that's just what we did. And I just reflected on my life and all the friends that I had. And I just could think about it. All the different ways that alcohol affected our relationships. And oftentimes we were getting people, others, not me, okay, I was great. But uh, there was people getting fist fights, drunkenness. People were often out drinking, yelling at one another, screaming at each other, always crying on the curbs, puking in toilets, puking in the gutters, dr- driving drunk, potentially killing someone sexual immorality of all sorts. That's the life. And you know those you guys say out of that lifestyle, you know. You know that and that's these and there's and that's other and that's just when we're college kids, it gets more sophisticated when you get older. It affects your marriage. It affects your children. It's much worse. Now, having all said this, I'm not gonna never gonna say you're never gonna hear me say, don't drink. Okay. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture doesn't say that. And we don't need to go there ever, okay? We don't ever want to get there where we say, hey, just don't drink. It may be wise. There may be wisdom that we see in the Proverbs that counsels against being careful with drinking. And that's, and that's what God says. And therefore, we should, uh, we should uh, always give that kind of counsel. And we can live by that wisdom. But we'll never then, we're not going to go beyond what Scripture says. It starts saying, don't drink at all. But the Scripture here says, do not be enslaved to much wine. Don't be enslaved to it. Be guarded. Be watchful when it comes to wine. Because here we, I know many, and I'm sure many here uh, partake of wine, and, and you do so, I trust, with wisdom. Lastly, uh, <clears throat> conduct, conduct befitting a sound doctor for older women is going to be marked by teaching what is good. This is, the, this is kind of the, sort of the, the, the key idea in this section. We often find a lot of times we, when we get to Titus uh, 2, verses 3 to 4, we emphasize this for ladies, that she is to teach what is good. Older women are to teach what is good. That phrase, teaching what is good, is, one of the, again, one of those words that are unique to all of the New Testament. You don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. But what's kind of cool about this word, okay, I'm being a little Greek nerd here, but it, it's found nowhere else in any of the Greek literature. No one else uses this word. And so most likely Paul coined this word. You know how, like, you know, we can coin phrases like words like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, you know, whatever. You just kind of coin words. Well, Paul's coining a word here. And he says, older women are to be teaching what is good. And he's kind of lumped it all together and made it one word. Teaching what is good. It's a, and the, um, what does this idea mean? Well, I think we all say, well, we kind of generally think we understand, we know what it means. But when you have a unique word that's only used in one place in all of all Greek literature, the meaning of the word has got to be reflected in context. The meaning of this word is, you can't find a dictionary that's going to tell you what it means. Just look at the context. This is the only place it's ever used in all Greek language. Just look at how it's used here, and you will get a good definition of what it means, of teaching what is good. There are four ideas, four kind of ideas with regard to teaching what is good that we find here in this text. Number one, teaching what is good involves teaching younger women. 
So for, the, uh, for Paul encouraging the older one to teaching what is good, it involves teaching younger women in the church. The purpose of the teaching that we find in verse 4 is that they are so that, as they teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women. Older women are then to teach the young women. Their job is to, as they teach what is good, encourage uh, with a focus on the younger women. And this is primarily uh, younger women that is younger married women in the church. But it could apply to young, all, young, younger single women too. Notice that Paul doesn't say to, tell, to Titus, teach the younger woman this. He doesn't tell him to teach a younger woman as group. Remember in 1 Timothy 5, he says, treat all a younger woman with as sisters in all purity. There's a, <laughs> there's probably a little bit of, uh, there's wisdom here that a, a young man like Timothy, a young pastor like Timothy, should not be spending a lot of time teaching all the younger women as a group. And that's just practical wisdom. To guard his, guard him from potential sexual immorality. And so the, the primary task of teaching the younger woman only as a particular group falls upon the older woman of the church. Now, obviously, Titus will teach younger women in the context as he teaches the whole church. He does that, even as I'm doing here. But it's not, he's not going to have a, oh, by the way, Wednesday's young women's Bible study. Meet with me at 9 p.m. at my house. Don't go to that one, okay? Don't go to that one. That's not what you, okay? Uh, so, that's number one, teaching is there when the, teaching what is good is involved teaching the young woman in the church. Number two, teaching what is good involves teaching the qualities of a godly woman, particularly in the context of a home. What do we see? What is good? Teaching what is good. Well, you know, the, oh, God is good. You know, here, you know, teach them that God is good. Maybe uh, you can teach that. Is that what good means? No. Good is indicated here by what is explained in verse 4 to 5. What are they going to encourage the young woman to do? To love their husbands, love their children, sensible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is what is good. These are godly attributes of a, of a young woman. These are to be reflected in her life. And these are the things that she is to teach. And we'll flesh this out next week. Thirdly, teaching what is good has the aim of encouraging. So you see, teaching what is good so that, the purpose of teaching what is good, so that they may encourage. So there's an encouragement that is happening here. You know, um, you really don't have to tell a young woman, a young woman to, you need to love your wife, love your husband, and love your children, right? You have to tell them that. Go, 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 go to, you know, next time you had a wedding, you know, so you go to the bride and say, you know, I'm going to tell you, make sure you love your husband now. You know, no, they don't need to be taught that. They know it in their head, okay? What they need, they want to, they love their husband. What they need is encouragement in the way. Because as they, once they're married for a year, or a few weeks, okay, then, <laughs> <laughs> then they'll say, what? I married a sinner. <laughs> I married a sinner. I can't believe it. He's a sinner. I'm not going to submit to him. <laughs> this is, he, I need to knock his sense into him. No. <laughs> that, and that's, that's, probably, that's true, actually. <laughs> you married a sinner. <laughs> and the fact is, she is, is going to need an encouragement from the older woman to love their husband, to love their children, to the practical outworking of this. There's, a, there's, a, there's this idea, that, and this encouragement, by the way, is not something that, uh, there's a word that normally the Greek uses to come alongside, to, you know, paracle, uh, the word for the Holy Spirit. That's not this word. It's a, it's a different word. This word actually means, it comes from the word that's, the key word in this passage, the, the idea of sensibleness, self-control. 
That's the word. It's put into verbal form. So that the idea is almost like, so that they may, <laughs> you could, if you could literally say, so they may bring some sense into the younger woman. That is, that maybe she has an ideal about what it looks like. She has it in theory, what it looks like to do these things, but she has yet to understand the wisdom that is required to flesh it out. Who has the wisdom to flesh it out? The older woman. The older woman. You guys, they're the godly women who've lived it, who have practiced it, who've applied in their lives, and those they are then to come alongside and encourage. It's an encouraging that they come along. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not instruction, that we don't have classes that, that can be taught by older women to younger women, but it's primarily that of encouraging, coming alongside. Fourthly, teaching what is good then necessitates being an example. If you're an older woman and you're teaching the younger woman to love their husband, love their children, et cetera, the whole thing, then, well, it helps to be an example. It sure helps. It, it, you're, in fact, you become an effective teacher. You are an effective teacher because you've lived it. And some of our most effective uh, teachers in this church with regards to uh, roles of, of uh, women in, in, in the church and the home are our older women. You can have me come and preach the scriptures, but it's more powerful when an older woman comes and just teaches and encourages you from the scriptures and from her life. One of the great blessings in this church that I found that I've, I've really appreciated is the development of our women's ministry. I thank uh, God for the godly leaders that he's placed in this church who will help oversee and lead it, who have directed and discipled the, 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 the ministry team that then in turn directs the ministry of this church. But we've seen so many of our, our older women come alongside, and, and they've done so. They've, they really taught the younger women. They seized every opportunity to teach younger women They've, they've had small group uh, in Bible studies like our Titus 2 uh, ministry. And now recently we, we started hearing about the heart-to-heart ministry where the, there's a one-on-one discipleship that's going to go on from older to younger, encouraging, encouraging them in their faith. And that's, that's our older women. This is what our older women are doing. They just naturally do it. I didn't have to tell them to do that. They just decided to do it themselves. That is how blessed we are. A lot of times you guys wait to me, hey, Pastor Henry, why don't you go tell us people to do that? <laughs> you know, we need more of this. Will you tell people to do more of that? Well, I could, uh, I could. But they're not going to do it unless God does a work in their hearts. And I, I just appreciate what God is doing in the work of our hearts, of our older women. They're just doing it. They're just being about good deeds and good, word, good works, which in effect are impacting our younger women in this body. They... Teach the younger women what is good by their words and by their example. It's really just a part of making disciples. When they make disciples, it's not about teaching correct doctrine, right? It's not just about head knowledge. I hope this, all this is not just head knowledge for us. God forbid that's just head knowledge. But we also want to pass on right conduct in light of right, the right knowledge. Right truth with right conduct. Both need to be taught. And you can teach right truth by your words. You can even speak right conduct with your words. But the most powerful way to teach right conduct is to live it before someone else, to exemplify it. And this church is blessed. We are blessed because of the older women that God has placed in our midst over the years. 
And we think of thanks for them. So these are the qualities that reflect our old woman. Old woman, I hope you've not heard me command you to do this. I believe the majority of you are already doing this. I thank God for that, for your life well lived. And continue to live this way before God has devoted his servants, living your life for him to bring him glory. I'm watching your life. I see you. I'm so thankful to God for you. I want to conclude then really with a, a quote uh, from First Second uh, Timothy 1.5. And this is our, these are words that Paul writes to Timothy. In second, this is the, his final words to Timothy. Very final words. You know, Paul's going to say some other things. But he begins this letter, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure that it is in you as well. He's about to encourage Timothy to fight the good fight, to keep running the race and all that, you know, to be faithful in ministry. But he reminds, he begins by reminding Timothy of the faith of whom? The faith of his mother and the faith of his grandmother. Two women, older women to Timothy, who really set the example for him, who taught him by their words and by their deeds. They taught him what faith looks like. And that... And that is what God would do for us. As, we encourage, as I would encourage you, remember, even as Paul says to Timothy, consider the faith of the older women in our lives. Some of you have blessed, been blessed by Christian mothers. Some of you have been blessed by Christian grandmothers. And give thanks to God for them, for they set the example for us. We also especially give thanks for the Christian older women in this church who, though not our, directly our mothers, not our, directly our grandmothers, but they have acted like spiritual mothers to us. And we do well to remember their faith. But before I leave it here with the glory of mothers, I want to point us their faith to the one who we want to leave with. That their faith, if you recall, that Titus and Paul's going to bring it out in Titus 2, Their faith was in none other than Jesus Christ. The reason why the older women of our lives lived the way that they did to be examples for us is because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's Jesus, because Jesus came. And because Jesus came, he instructs us, he teaches teaches us to deny ungodliness, to deny world desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That we're to live godly lives because of our faith in Jesus, because of what the Jesus came. We're to look, have a hope. We're to live more than just for this life. We're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing the glory of our great, our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Who, what did he do? Because Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He died so that he would save his people a people for his own. All, whoever believes in him, he saves. He saves completely. And he saves this people to, for what purpose? That we would be zealous for good deeds. And we thank God that we have this faith in Christ. And they, just as it impact, results in, a, in a, a, life, a life befitting of sound doctrine for our older women, may it do so in us because of 
the faith, our same faith is in this same one, the grace of God who has appeared, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we've heard today, we, we thank you that your sound doctrine produces in us a life that is befitting a life of godliness. We thank you that we see how, see it, how it's fleshed out in our older woman, the older women of our church. And we give you thanks for every one of our older women. We thank you for their words their, and their, their example, their life examples. We thank you how they continually serve the, not only this body, but they serve their families and examples to us. Father, we're grateful, Lord, that you, this is the work that you do in their hearts. And may you continue to encourage them to grow and, be, and, and continue serving in this way so that they would reflect a faith in Christ. And just, Father, as we've seen Christ in their life, we ask that you would help us to conduct ourselves also in a similar way, befitting of the sound doctrine of Christ. Help us to live godly lives. Lord, guard us from being just hearers of the word. Help us to be doers too. And Lord, we will all confess that we fail at times. We do not live as we all. We are. Our hearts are prone to wander. And so again, once again, we, we end just crying out to you. Help us, Father. Enable us by your spirit to walk in this way so that the glory would belong to you as we do so. Help us be a people that is zealous for good deeds because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.